Welcome to the Live to Give podcast, Sunday Sermons, where each week you get to hear the message preached at Faith Church in Lansing, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to be talking about relationships. And yes, in some of that time we're going to talk a little bit about marriage. And I know as soon as I say that I'm going to lose like a third of you because you're single. <laughs> and maybe you're single for different reasons. You might be single because you feel called to singleness. You might be single because you want to be single right now. Maybe you're in school and you're more focused on career and school and finishing that up. And you don't feel like having to worry about that. Or maybe you're single and you don't want to be single. Whatever the case may be, if it's any of that or anything else, I just want to challenge you that as we talk today to to allow yourself to listen because we're going to talk about love and everything we say can be applied to any relationship in your life, to any relationship that's important to you, to any relationship that matters and you want to improve upon. So as you listen, if you hear us say marriage and talk that way, just tell yourself, hey, that's not for me, but what is for me is to hear how can I apply this to some important relationship in my life and hear it in that way. Now, as we begin this brand new series, the title of it is Insta Life. And let me see if, if I can explain to you a little bit about what that title means. It's the, it's the idea of uh, that there's a difference between Instagram and reality, right? Like everybody tries to put out on social media that they've got everything put together. That when it comes to their marriage or parenting, their job, their school, their finances, when it comes to those things on Instagram, it looks like, boy, their life must be close to perfect. (laughs) But we all know that in reality, that's not true. And we know that that's not the case, right? Like in any relationship, in every relationship, there's trouble and hardship. And in fact, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it tells us this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about marriage, it talks about singleness. And and in this chapter, it kind of to summarize it, it kind of says, hey, if you're single and you choose to get married, you need to know marriage is full of trouble. (laughs) There's more to it than just just that. And that's not the only purpose of 1 Corinthians 7, but that's a big part of it. Isn't that a great like biblical statement for marriage? (laughs) Marriage is full of trouble. Someone should put that on a mug, right? (laughs) Marriage is full of trouble. And look, babe, you're biblical. (laughs) Let's just be honest. If you're in a relationship with somebody, it involves two people, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be issues. Now, the first thing that I want to do today is I want to change the definition of love for you. And here's the second time that I know some of you are already rolling your eyes at me because you're like, oh, here we go. This is where the pastor is now going to give us some long, wordy, theological definition for the word of love based on the Greek and the Hebrew. And and No, no, no. I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do today. And I I know that you're like, yeah, 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 because you're you're about to put up on the screen, love is, and then you're going to tell us the definition. But I'm not going to do that. I mean, I... I'm not, I did this, I put that up there, but I'm not going to fill in the blank. I want you to fill in the blank. Uh, and in fact, that's, that's what I've done this week, is I've asked you to give me the answers to this, because I want to use your definition of love, not mine. Because, because after the message today, what I don't want is I don't want you to be talking about it, be like, yeah, but you know what, that was Kirk's definition of love. Or, well, that was the Greek word for love, and I'm not Greek, so I don't know if it applies to me. Like, I don't want you to go there. 
And so we're going to answer this question of what is love using your answers. Because I want to show you that you already innately know the answer to the question, what is love? You already know, but knowing it and living it out are two different things. And so this question of what is love, it's an important question. It really is. It's an incredibly important question because this whole idea of love, man, it can be confusing, right? Because like, here's the thing, like in my life, like I love sports, I do. I, love, I have since I was a kid, since I was really little. Like I can remember being like five or six years old and, and, and the Winter Olympics came on and, and I walked in and curling was on. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. What is this? And I sat and I watched curling when I was like five because I thought it was so cool. Cause I, I love the idea of it. Like, like, like I just, I love sports and I love competition. I, I also, I, I love the smell of fresh cut grass especially, especially the first time that you cut grass in the spring. Oh, oh, I love that smell. I love it because it it reminds me, it tells me it's spring. It tells me that warm weather is finally here. It tells me it's baseball season. And and so I love that. I love the smell of fresh cut grass. You know what else I love? I love the rolls at Red Lobster. Anybody else with me? Anybody? Yeah. I love those rolls. And in fact, I, I love to take our staff there at the church any chance that I get. You can ask about this. They'll tell you this is true. And anytime we go to Red Lobster, as soon as they bring the rolls out, what I do is I take those rolls and I put several on my plate. I put the rest of them on everybody else's plate. I make sure that the waiter or the waitress sees the basket is empty. I fold open the napkin so that it is clear there are no rolls in there. And then I will let the waiter or the waitress know that their tip will not be determined by how nice they are to me or if they know my name. They can call me buttface for all I care. Their tip will be determined based upon that basket of rolls staying full because I love red lobster rolls. In fact, right now, that kind of sounds good. I could really go for a red lobster roll. Man, that sounds good. So I love sports. I love the smell of fresh cut grass. I love red lobster rolls and I love my wife, Emily. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird how we do that? We use the same word for, for rolls and fresh cut grass that we use for my wife of 19 years. You see, we use love as this emotion. We use it as this feeling that is supposed to mean more than like. But I think as we go through today and as we get to the conclusion of today, you're going to go, no, it's different than that. It has to be different than that. And so this week what I did is I asked you all on social media the question of what is love? And you gave me your answers. And I've written up here your answers. I want to show you the answers that you gave me when I asked the question, what is love? And here you go. Here's your answers, all right? You said love is commitment, never giving up, forgiveness, being selfless, respect. Uh, This one, somebody DM'd me this one. They didn't want everyone to know. Sex. Hey, I only put it up there because you guys sent it to me. This is your answers, not mine. So if you're upset, grace is the next word. Give me grace. Give the person grace who sent that. All right, but grace, love is grace. Love is loyalty, you said. You said love is devotion, sacrifice. You said love is a verb. Love is serving. Love is unconditional. You said love is fun. Love is advocacy. Love is an action. You said love is acceptance. Love is nurture. Love is effort. And you said love is a journey. Those were your answers that you gave when I asked, what is love? 
And now when we talk about love in our culture, we tend to talk about feelings and emotions, but I want you to pay attention to this list that you gave. I want you to see, you didn't give me a bunch of feelings and emotions. These are your answers, not mine. This is no trick. This is what you told me. And you didn't give a bunch of feelings and emotions. Do you see what you get? You gave me a bunch of choices, things that you have to choose right? Like watch this. Let's go through each word and, and you tell me, and I know you're at home or you're in your car, but as I say the word, I want you to say out loud, is this a feeling or a choice? Commitment. Choice, right? Never giving up. Choice. Forgiveness. Choice. Being selfless. Choice. Respect. Choice. Sex. It's a choice, but if it's not also a feeling, you're not doing it right. Just say, okay, okay, moving on. Grace, it's, it's, again, give me grace. Grace, it's a choice. Loyalty, choice, devotion, choice, sacrifice, a choice. You, you, see, you see, it's a choice. You can go through every one of these words and what you see is it's a choice, 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 choice. Do you see that? Do you get that? When we, when we always think it's an emotion or it's feelings and yet when I asked you what is love, you innately knew the answer. You, said, you gave me choices. You understand this, it has very little to do with feelings. <laughs> but think about this, especially in our Western culture. How do we get into relationships, especially dating relationships? Like, what does that look like? How does that happen? Well, first off, we decide, well, let's go do something together. Let's, let's go out and we're going to go and we're going to try to have some fun. We're going to do something that we both enjoy. We're hoping that laughter is a part of it. And the more we enjoy one another, the more we spend time with each other, and eventually it leads to something physical or sexual and intimacy. And we start talking about, oh, there's chemistry. And oh, every time we're together, it feels so good. And I love you, I think, I think you love me, and, then, and, and, it's, and, and it's just so right, and the chemistry's there, and the next thing you know, you, you jump into marriage. <laughs> and then the challenge is, is that then in marriage, once you're married, you're going to run into problems. You're going to run into some real life trouble and challenges. Remember the mug? <laughs> marriage is full of trouble. <laughs> and, and listen, trust me, in any marriage, when you run into troubles and problems, when, when you run into disagreements, let me tell you, the laughter is quick to go away. <laughs> the fun is quick to disappear, and suddenly you're not having any, you know? And that's just reality. That's just what, what happens. And so then all of a sudden, you're left with what? You're, you're, you're left with, well, those are the only things that got us here. Those are what we did that led us to falling in love, <laughs> And you don't know what to do. And so you see, what I'm hoping to do today is I'm hoping to change that verbiage for the rest of your life for you. Because I want you to understand, it is impossible to fall into love. It's impossible to fall into love. You know why? Because love is a choice. In fact, let's write this down. If you're taking notes, write it down. You can't fall into love. You can fall into emotion. <clears throat> you can't fall into love, but you can fall into emotion. You can fall into having fun. You can fall into laughter. You can fall into sex, but you can't fall into love. And don't get me wrong. I'm glad those things make the list, all right? Like I enjoy laughter and fun, and I, def I enjoy the other one too, but, but those are just a few things on this gigantic list that we've already established and said clearly it's showing us your answers. Tell us love is a choice. And so I wanted to start this message with you. 
I wanted to start with your answers for what is love, letting you give this definition. Because the truth is you innately know what the Bible says and what God tells us about love. You already knew this, what our creator tells us, which is that, that the creator who wants us in relationship, who created you to have a need for others, a need for relationships, says that love is a choice. You were created to know that. God tells us that. In fact, let me show you one of the ways, one of the places where God tells us that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is considered the love chapter of the Bible. Now, this chapter, it's not talking about marriage. It's talking about love. It's talking about relationships. It's talking about love that you have, and, and it doesn't, it's not just marriage. It's talking about love like you might have from a parent to a child or a child to a parent. It's talking about how, how do I better do relationship with a supervisor at work or a boss or a coworker? How do I better do relationship with a friend or a neighbor? How do I become a person who has better friendships, like real friendships that are deep and not surface levels? That, that's, that's what First Corinthians 13 is talking about love. That's what it's ta- talking about. And so let me show you what it says. First Corinthians chapter 13, here we go, beginning in verse 4. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is from the creator of us. This is from the designer of you and of me. And he says, here is love. And he says, love is and love is and love is. And I want you to see here. I want you to look, 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 look. You need to see this. Listen, love is patient. What is patience? Is that a feeling or is that a choice? That's a choice. Look, 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 look. Choice, 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 feeling. Choice, 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 choice. In all of 1 Corinthians 13, there's only one feeling that's mentioned, and that feeling is anger, and it says that love is not easily angered. Well, for love to not be easily angered is going to require self-control, and to have self-control is a choice. You're choosing to have self-control to not be easily angered. You see, in Scripture, God is making it clear to us, love is a choice. And so I want to change your definition. If you've ever thought differently about love, I want to challenge you to change it, to see love the way that Scripture sees love. Because I don't care how cold you say your relationship is or how stale or heartless you think it is. You have not fallen out of love because the truth is you never fell into love. If your relationship is struggling and challenged or cold or feels heartless, it is because you have chosen to stop loving someone because love is a choice. And let me tell you why this is good news, why it's good news that love is a choice. Because if you feel like your relationship is on the brink of disaster or divorce, if you feel like your friendship with somebody is on the brink of being done forever and there's no recovery for it, the fact that love is a choice is good news for you. Because let me show you something. When the choice of love is made, the heart will follow. When the choice of love is made, the heart will follow. 
Because when the mind is set on choosing to love, the feelings and emotions will follow that. And you say, well, Kirk, how do you know that? Is that in the Bible? No, no. It's, I know it because of The Bachelor. <laughs> I know it because of The Bachelor. That's right. Today we're going to get our wisdom from The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Because for 25 seasons, they have proven what the Bible tells us about love. For 25 seasons, they have proven 1 Corinthians 13. For 25 seasons, they have shown us and demonstrated us that love is a choice. Because you you know the show. You, You know how this goes. You start with one strapping, chiseled young man, good looking dude with his shirt off. You take 32 women and you put them all living together in a mansion and then here's the game. Let's see who can fall in love and let's see what happens. And within a matter of days, they're all falling in love. And as you get further and further in, man, this gets tough. Now, now I, I don't watch the show. I just simply support Emily in this endeavor of hers. No, that's not true. Confession time. Can I be, can I be honest and real? I watch the show. I actually enjoy the show. You know why? It gives me a glimpse into how does the world view and see relationships. And I love to people watch. And so I watch the show. The truth is Emily doesn't watch it. She'd be so mad at me if I didn't correct that. So she supports me in that endeavor. (laughs) Now, the crazy thing about this show is that within four weeks, madness breaks out. 14 women are all in love with one guy. That guy's in love with at least half of the women. And by the time, by the time he gets down to like the final like five or six roses, it's hilarious, right? Because when he gets down to those final five or six roses, he's standing up there and he's supposed to call their names and one of them's going to get cut. And you're wondering who's going to get cut. And he's still wondering. He can't figure it out. And he's struggling saying their names. And so the host will come on and, and the host will take the bachelor off to the side. And he'll go, it's getting tough, isn't it? Yeah. What's going on, man? What's wrong? Oh, I think I love them all. I love everyone. I don't know who to get rid of. I love every one of them. (laughs) And and this is why we love the show. This is why we watch the show, right? (laughs) Because listen, even on the third night, on the third night, there's always some girl who gets eliminated, who gets sent home, and she's in the limo cam confessional, and she's going, I I, I thought we were going to be together forever. He was was my soul mate. And I'm like, Lady, you haven't even been on a one-on-one with him yet. (laughs) Have you ever noticed, though, that in 25 seasons of The Bachelor and several seasons of The Bachelorette, they've never gotten four weeks into the show and gone, whoa, 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 wait, 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 time out. Nobody's liking each other. Nobody's, Nobody's liking each other. Nobody's falling in love. We got the wrong women. We got the wrong men. We got it. No. No, in 25 seasons, that's never happened. 32 men, 32 women on a television show, and somehow every single time, every single time the television show has always found the person's soulmate or soulmates. <laughs> because you see, the bachelor and the bachelorette understand the truth about love. They understand 1 Corinthians 13 that love is a choice. Put people in a mansion romantically charged with beautiful LED lighting, a driveway that's constantly wet so it's always glistening, and a beautiful pool with a beautiful view. 
Set them up in an environment that welcomes the idea of love. Make sure that people are putting their minds to the idea of falling into love. Have them go on dates that push them towards love. Have them take these dates that, you know, I mean, you know, these dates that, I mean, Emily and I, that we are used to taking. You know, the kind of dates where all of a sudden the helicopter shows up at our house, takes us up on the mountain. (laughs) We eat dinner over an open fire, candles lit all around. After dinner, we grab each other hand in hand and we make our way over the mountaintop. We get to the other side of the mountain and there's you two and Bono singing for us. And we just start dancing all night long. Oops, sorry, dancing. Uh It's it's what Emily and I call date night in our house. (laughs) Listen, they understand this. The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, television gets this. You choose to fall in love. It's a choice. Listen, listen. If you make the choices of love with your mind, the heart will follow. And I know some of you are like, yeah, but man, if that happens, then maybe I'll be stuck with him. Or if that happens, then I'll be stuck with with her. Well, let me encourage you with a passage of Scripture. Let let me encourage you. I'm challenging you to turn in your Bibles three, three books to the right, to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, I want to give you some encouragement about why and how I know this can work and how I know that this is reality. Because Ephesians chapter 5, it starts this way. It says, follow God's example. Some some of your translations will, will, will say it this way. It'll say, be imitators of God. Now that's quite the statement right there, right? Follow God's example, be imitators of God. And he's referring to loving relationships here is what he's referring to. So whether it's a parent to a child or a child to a parent, uh, whether it's a boss to an employee, employee to a boss, whether it's a friend or a neighbor, or even if it's in a marriage, what Paul is about to do for us here is he's talking about how to have a loving relationship. And he's saying, hey, if you're going to have a loving relationship with anybody, he says, here's what you have to do first. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and you have to understand the town of Ephesus is a jacked up city. Oh, it's a messed up city. It, it is full of pagan worship, temple prostitution. It, it has gotten lust and love all kinds of confused and and messed up. And Paul writes to them and he says, hey, 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 let me redefine love for you. Let me give you some clarity around this. But he also says, says, hey, you need to know, I'm going to redefine love, but you need to know you can do this. You can be like dad. You can follow his example. You can imitate him because you were created and made in his image so you can do this. And then he goes on, he says, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, he says, you're to do the same. That that's what choosing to love looks like, that that's what it is. Well, when we say Christ gave himself up for us, what does that mean? It means he died for us. <laughs> and some of you are like, oh, but Kirk, man, this guy is killing me. And I'm like, you're on the right path. <laughs> that's Christ-like. <laughs> Listen, in relationships, this is what we have to do. There's going to be sacrifice involved. <laughs> And if you're strong with this idea that there's sacrifice involved, this idea that love is a choice, listen, listen. Anybody who has a two or a three-year-old at home right now knows the reality of this. 
Anyone who's a two or a three-year-old right now knows that love is a choice. They, they know that. You know all about this. You know that love is not a feeling, unless they're sleeping. If they're sleeping, oh, they're, they're so cute. They're so cute when they're sleeping. But if they're not sleeping, you know that love is a choice. You're like, why did we bring him in the world? What were we thinking? Don't worry. As a parent of teenagers, I can tell you that it only gets harder. <laughs> We have a house full of teens and tweens right now. And let me just be honest with you. There are many days in our house where love straight up is a choice for them as well as for us. It's not always easy. It does require sacrifice. And so Paul tells us this. Paul tells us that love is a sacrifice. And he goes on in the next several verses and he talks about how this is going to affect our morality and our speech. And then he goes on and he tells us how much we should drink and can drink or that we shouldn't get drunk. And, and then he gets to verse 21. Still in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And Paul says this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I want you to think about this verse. It says submit to who? Now, I know that you're listening or you're at home, but I want to challenge you to say it out loud. Or if you're one of those people who are like, I don't ever do what the preacher tells me to do, that's fine. If you're not a raise your hand, when I say raise your hand, that's, that's fine. But at least in your head, say it. I want to be clear. I want, I want clarity around this because I'm sick and tired of people trying to use these verses in Ephesians to say, oh, wives have to submit to their husbands. They have to submit and everything over and over. I want you to see that before it ever gets to that, before it ever talks about that, the scripture in 521, that people love to skip this verse says what? It says submit to who? Submit to, say it, one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if you're over there going, well, wives submit to husbands. Yeah, you got half of it right. And husbands submit to wives. 521, submit to one another. And now from this verse, then what Paul does is he's going to go on from there and, and now he's going to separate husbands and wives and he's going to talk about what does that submission look like, what you're going to see, and, and, and he talks specifically to the women and then he talks to the men. And these next verses to the women, these were not revolutionary verses. These verses did not shake up the world or break the bank when it came to Greek and Roman world because these verses really, they just... They're kind of describing how it was and their reality at their time and their culture. But what Paul is doing is he's giving women a different model and motive for what was really kind of already their reality. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Paul says this, starting in verse 22. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Now, for us, that may sound earth-shattering, but let me be honest. For them, in their time and their culture, that was not earth-shattering at all. You know why? Because in their culture, women were seen as objects and possessions. They had to submit to their husbands. In fact, if they didn't, you could be severely punished for not doing so. There were significant consequences for that. Women were to stay at home and to raise their children, preferably male children. <laughs> but all of a husband's conquest and value and most of the husband's sexual identity actually all came from outside of the household. But go back to verse 21 real quick with me because I want you to see what the Bible says there. Now that you're a Christ follower, he's telling the wives, hey, you need to respect your husband. 
Respect your husband. But not because he deserves it. The Bible doesn't say that. You're going to respect him when his heart starts changing. Nope, it doesn't say that either. You're going to respect him when he starts picking up after himself. No, the Bible doesn't say that either. You're going to respect your husband out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21, remember what it says? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You're going to respect him because by respecting him, you're giving reverence to Jesus. Because ladies, let me tell you something that maybe you don't know and don't realize it. Us guys, because we hate to be soft and sensitive, we are terrible at sharing this. But it doesn't matter who your husband's boss or supervisor is. It doesn't matter who his friends are. Your voice, when it gives honor and respect to him, rings louder in his life and in his heart than any other voice. When you give honor and respect. Now, not not when you're correcting or telling what he could have done better or could have done different. No, 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 no. I mean, when you give him honor and respect. You need to know more than from anyone else, he desires this from you. And you go, well, is that really reality, Kirk? Is that in scripture? Yeah, it is. It actually goes all the way back to creation, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God creates Adam. (laughs) Adam was created by the perfect creator, placed into the perfect environment, a perfect garden, a perfect setup. And God looks at him and he looks at the situation and God goes, this is not good. He needs her. He needs her voice. He needs her in his life. He needs her voice in his life life. You see, ladies, it doesn't matter what your husband's job is, what titles he holds, what rank he goes to, what promotions he gets or receives, how high up the corporate ladder he works. If things aren't good at home, it is hard for his life to be good. Because what he craves, that he struggles being honest about and telling you, is he craves your respect. Not your correction, but your respect. And I know some of you are like, but why should I have to do that? He hasn't earned it. I hear you. But you don't do it out of reverence for him. You do it out of reverence for Christ. Now, this next verse is, are for the men. And whew, these verses shattered society. These verses are where the Bible, honestly, because of these verses, the Bible came to be mocked because they were so drastically different than reality. That all of a sudden, Paul was asking men to do something that no men in their society and their culture would ever think of to operate in this way in marriage or with their wives. And so let me read to you what Paul writes next to the men. He says, husbands, Love your wives. Well, how? How do we love them? What does that look like? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let me tell you something, husbands. In sacrificially killing yourself for her, 
you're going to get the relationship that you always wanted in return. But it comes by you laying down and falling on the sword first. Age and time may have given her some spots, but not in your eyes and not in your relationship. You're going to present her as spotless. Time and gravity and kids may have led to some gray hairs and some wrinkles on her face, but, but she's going to look in the mirror and see those things and she will wink at them because your words have covered them up for her. She is spotless. She is without wrinkle. She is radiant and she is deeply loved and she is treasured and she carries that value with her because of the truth that you've spoken into her and the actions that have spoken truth to her in your life. I want you to notice how Paul says that this here is a choice. He says, listen, you're going to do this in the same way that Christ is doing this, but you've got to choose to do it. And, and he talks about Christ loving the church. And I want you to think about this for a minute because the church is far from perfect. The church can be an ugly bride sometimes, can it? There's a lot of sin in the church, a lot of stain and wrinkles. But Jesus says, no, there's no stain, there's no wrinkles, not in my eyes. <laughs> and you might wonder, well, if I'm supposed to love her like Christ loved the church, how far do I go with this? <laughs> And some of you men, I know you're like, well, you don't understand her nagging. You don't understand when she says, well, you could have done this and you should have done that and you could have done better and you, you didn't do it right. And, it. and I know that you're wondering, how, well, how far do I have to go? How long do I have to love her for? How long do I have to love her like Christ loved the church? And Paul goes, oh, I get it. I get it, men. Let me tell you, <laughs> you're done loving her when you die. That's when you're done. But she hasn't earned that. She doesn't deserve it. Should, shouldn't she have to improve and get better? Shouldn't she stop doing these things that bug me or drive me nuts or, or hurt me before I love her? No, 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 because you've got to understand you aren't loving her and doing these things out of reverence for her. You're doing it out of reverence for Christ. This brings us to our so what moment. So what does this mean? What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? Let me leave you with this. <laughs> If you see a marriage or any relationship that looks really, really good, that seems to be really, really healthy, I want you to understand it's not because they have the perfect Instagram relationship or the perfect Instagram marriage. No. Here's the reality. A healthy relationship involves two people deciding every day to choose to love the other person by putting the other person's needs and interest above their own. Not because the other person deserves it, but out of reverence for Jesus. And I hope in your relationships that you'll decide to do the same. Because it's a choice. And the choice is yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we be challenged and encouraged in our relationships today. Challenge, Lord, to love like you love. Challenge to make a choice. Challenge to realize that if we will make loving decisions to do loving things for the other person, that our, if we make that decision in our mind, our heart will follow that. And may we also be encouraged. <laughs> encouraged to know that this idea of love being a choice is how you made it to be. 
And so this is all part of your plan and part of your design. And so as we work through this and as we struggle and as there's challenges and problems in marriage, we can know, you know what? God is with me in this and he's walking in this and he's going to support me and help me. Because God, you know we need your help. It is hard to put anyone else's interest above ourselves. (laughs) Especially the people that we spend the most time with and then sometimes end up driving us the most nuts. Sometimes the last person we want to do that for are those people. And so God, may through your Holy Spirit, may you give us the strength and the power to say, you know what? I'm going to set my interest and desires aside. And I'm going to make sure that I strive to meet your needs, your interest, and your desires. And as two people live that way, they become the model of God loving the church, the church responding to the love of Christ. And the watching world says, that's what it looks like for Jesus to love us. May that be a reality that people see in our relationships and in our marriages. In Jesus' name we pray.